I've been looking forward to talking to you this morning about this subject, but I don't know whether you're excited about hearing what I have to say, because you probably looked at the title and said, uh-oh, he's going to talk about money. And, and as soon as you see that, your, your phasers go up. It's just standard. This is some of the, one of the most personal areas of our life, and so naturally you, 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 you don't want people uh, looking in too closely. And, and so it's not uncommon when this is the subject it, it, that, you, that you automatically start listening through a filter to the preacher as to what do, what, what do, what do I disagree with this guy about? And, and what, where's he getting it wrong or whatever? And you can do that, but, but I hope you don't. Because I, I am here, I'm not here to talk to you about your money. I'm the relationship guy. That's what I do. I talk about relationships. So I wrote a book called Grace-Based Parenting and Grace-Filled Marriage. And what I'm about is helping people have great, healthy relationships, starting with their relationship with God. And I, what I want to talk to you about is our relationship with God and how that should impact how we view money and how we handle it. And the reason I want to do this is because over the years, because of what I do, I've been called into the middle of many families with stress. Maybe there's a conflict in a marriage or between parents and, and kids. And, uh, and, and in trying to assess what's going on and get a bigger picture for it, it's not uncommon that I find in this family that there's a lot of financial stress. And the financial stress primarily because they have either ignored or never knew or understood what the Bible has to say about this. Now, obviously, you can have very generous hearts and still have some uh, uh, winter seasons in your love story, in your marriage. And obviously, you can have generous hearts and have a kid go rogue on you. They have minds of their own. But, but what, what, uh, what always seems to get me is how often... I would see that because this is an area that they closed God out of, their finances, it just is, what, what's happening over here is more symptomatic of the bigger problem here, of where they, uh, how much they're going to hand their life over to God and trust him. Now, I've even been in families where I'm trying to uh, umpire things, where they're doing very well financially, but once again, if you look closer, you realize, yeah, they're doing well financially, but God isn't any part of it. And so they're still missing out. So I want to talk to you today about that because God wants us to enjoy an abundant life here on earth. And, 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 but this is only experience when we hand the bigger compartments of our life over to him. That makes total sense. And, 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 and I think money is one of those big compartments. And, and by the way, another reason I want to say this too is, because I look around, yeah, a lot of, I see some gray hair and some uh, L'Oreal out there uh, of an older generation. And... and and, 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 but we were taught about this. If you've been in church long, you were taught about this. But our church really doesn't speak on this. And there's a new generation out there. Many of you are in this crowd right now. And, and if you don't know what the Bible has to say, I, I, would, I would feel bad that you would have lost out on God coming alongside you in this area and really helping you to, to take all the anxiety out of this money thing. And so I'm going to be pretty comprehensive here. We're going to cover a lot of scripture and a lot of ground. I hope you'll bear with me if this is all familiar territory. Because see, see I, as I said, money is one of those big uh, major compartments. And, and I think it's one of the best litmus tests of our willingness to surrender control of our lives over to God. It's so personal. And that's why we occasionally need to talk about it. Now, we need a foundational verse to launch from. And if you look in your bulletin, I, I, I felt the most famous verse in the Bible is a great launch pad for discussion on, on generosity. And, 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 and what is that verse? John 3, 16. 
It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. This verse so succinctly capsulizes the gospel. And that's why I think it is so popular. It, it, it talks about the, it shows the solution that God brought to a dilemma we all had. We, we because of sin in our life, sin that, that we chose to continue in, we had separated ourselves from God. And the, the problem was nothing we could do could bridge that gap and get us back in connection with him. No matter how good of a life we live, our sin still separates us. And the wages of our sin is death. And so uh, the consequences for our sin would be that when we ultimately die physically, we would be eternally separated from God. But God loved us. Even though we had turned our back on him, he loved us. And he wanted to somehow bridge that gap and bring us back together. But the wage was still the same. Someone had to die. But, but he's a, I don't want them to die because they're eternally separated. But if we could find a worthy substitute, someone that is perfect, we could transfer that over. And that's where his son stepped forward. And Jesus willingly gave his life. And, 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 and his father surrendered his most precious possession on our behalf. That is the gospel. And I hope you've made that decision to put your faith in him. If you haven't, today's a great day to do that. Just quietly in your own heart say, Lord, I need that forgiveness. I want that gift of eternal life. And you know what's interesting is the Bible uses an imagery of, of marriage when it talks about what God was doing on the cross. Uh, it, you know, the church is called Jesus' bride. And what's interesting about most uh, uh, marriages start with an engagement. And most engagements start with a proposal. And, and I know there's a lot of married couples here. It would be fun if we had the time, we don't, to go around and hear your story of how one popped the question to the other. And we've probably seen those, uh, those grand scale ones done on jumbotrons and flash mobs. I prefer the quiet, private ones. And I've, I remember being in a restaurant one time and, and I looked over in a corner and it was a kind of a quiet corner and I saw this guy slip out of his chair and get down on one knee and a little box in his hand. You know, it, it, most people, when they do that, they try and put some forth on it, try and make it a, a, a nice setting, a romantic place. You know, one place I think would be a lousy place to ask somebody to marry you is a public execution. There's just something about that setting that doesn't seem to fit. But that is exactly where God went to ask for your hand and my hand in marriage. That's exactly where he went. He didn't have a gold ring and diamonds to offer. All they had was steel spikes that they were going to drive through his hands and feet. He could not get down on one knee because they were going to hang him up on that cross. He had friends there, but they weren't celebrating. They were standing at a distance, scared to death. The only people up close were people mocking him and insulting him. That was the price he was willing to pay to extend his heart to you and me. And, and so this, this gospel thing is, should be the biggest game changer in your life. Not should be. It, it is the only game changer. And if it isn't the biggest game changer, then you've missed the memos. And, 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 and with that in mind, I, I think John 3.16 also serves as a great foundational statement of what our lives should look like when we embrace that gospel. Because look at how it starts out here. For God so loved the world that he gave. He gave. 
At the core of God's heart of love is an active grace that shows itself in extravagant generosity. He didn't loan us salvation. He didn't rent it to us. He didn't try to sell it to us. He gave it to us through the sheer force of his grace. And not only did God graciously give us something we desperately needed but didn't deserve, but he gave it abundantly. And, and I think one of the profound impacts that should come out of a relationship with Jesus Christ is it should, it should change our focus. Because, because the culture around us and our, uh, and our internal selfishness would incline us to focus on here, now, and ourselves. But when we have been, uh, when we really get the, get, grasp the totality of what happened at the cross, it should change our focus upwards towards God and outwards towards the needs of other people. A man approached Jesus with a question, Matthew chapter 22, verse 36. Look at this. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? He said to him, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Now stop there. He's covered all the bases there. He's covered every nuance and compartment of our life. And this is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. Isn't it interesting? It's like it. Loving God, guess what? When you love God, you know what that should automatically impact in you? Is you, is you should love your neighbor as yourself. That one of the ways we know God's grace is actively working in us is it just turns us into people that are sensitive to what's going on around us and how we can come alongside and be a part of the solution in people's lives. Now, I want to make sure you know what I'm talking about when I'm referring to generosity, because I'm not, I'm not saying that, you know, yeah, we give to charity or we put money in the offering plate or uh, money in the uh, Salvation Army kettles at Christmas time. Those are all good things to do, but we could do those things and still not be generous people. Now, now play, please pay attention to this one. I'm talking about a state of mind. I'm talking about a lifestyle. I'm talking about a default mode. This is a direct extension of the gracious work of Christ for us on the cross. A direct extension of that. A generous heart that just, just launches from God's generous grace that he gave to us. It's an attitude that show, it should show itself in deliberate and consistent action. Okay, here's how the logic would go. God bought me on a cross. He owns me and everything I have. Here's the big one. I can trust him with my life. I can trust him. Now watch this. You're not going to like this next one. I hold everything I have in open hands to him. Because you see, if you can trust him, then you can trust him with your money. But that's not all. I want to mention something to you. Because this, the, you know, this whole thing, I, I, I believe a heart of generosity stands or falls based on whether you buy into one simple but profound principle. And that is God owns all your money. All of it. Not the little portion you set aside for him. He owns it all. Well, if this is true, let me continue to meddle with your life. We should see ourselves as stewards of his money rather than spenders of our money. Hmm. And every spending decision now becomes a spiritual decision. 
You say, oh, great, now you've really uh, ramped up my anxiety because for crying out loud, every decision, every spending decision is, is a spiritual decision. And, and you mean I have to like pray over what I order on the, uh, on the menu and, and, and what button I push in the venue? No, 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 first of all. And, and do, I, do I have to feel guilty if I have a nice home or whatever? First of all, we're parents. A lot of us are parents. We love to do nice things for our kids, don't we? We, we love for them to have nice things. We love for them to uh, have some great memories. And, and, and we love to do th- make sure they can do things that really make their life fun. I mean, where do we get that from? We're made in God's image. Our Heavenly Father's just like us. He loves us. He doesn't mind. He doesn't mind that we have nice things or whatever. That's not the problem. But he's saying, will you just let me own your life and my Holy Spirit will direct you. And I'll prompt you when you're getting carried away. I'll prompt you on that. And then, then, then oh, this is one that's really going to mess with you. He can take whatever he wants whenever he wants it. It's his money. He can take whatever he wants whenever he wants it. Now, don't be threatened by that because God, once again, never would ask anything of us unless it was in our best interest. Because he loves us. He would never ask us to surrender something of our treasures unless he knew this was going to make us better. So everything about him is working in our best interests. Now, I think this is a lot easier to accept when we look at our lives through the complete and finished work of Christ on the cross. You know, for Darcy and I, we have found our lives go a whole lot better if we preach the gospel to ourselves every day individually, we just remind ourselves of the cross and what price God paid. We remember the blood. We remember the pain. We remember the, uh, the, all the agony he went through because he loved us that much and that was our only way out. And then that makes it easy to buy into this kind of stuff. Well, in your outline, if you want to track with me, I said God's grace should compel us towards a lifestyle of generosity, a lifestyle where it just happens by default. We don't even have to think about it. It's just the way we are. Max Licato, I love the, uh, he's one of the finest writers out there. And boy, when he puts words together, they make total sense. He says, where grace happens, generosity happens. Well, if, if, if this is such a great idea, if this should be the way we are, why is it that we even have to be talking about this? <laughs> because the fact is, we struggle in this area, don't we? We all do. Let me, let me go through some of the, the standard reasons why. I mean, these are fairly obvious. Look at the first one here. It's hard. This is hard. This goes against everything around us and a whole lot of stuff inside of us, doesn't it? Because our culture worships money. It is consistently trying to draw us to embrace a success fantasy. And then, you know, we all, even if we put our faith in Christ, we still have that residue of the curse inside of us, don't we? And, and, and so we struggle with envy and comparison and jealousy and selfishness. And I think another thing that makes it hard is, is we struggle with our pride. We're prideful. We think the money is actually ours. And here's our argument. Say, excuse me, Tim, before you get carried away with this, it's all, it's his. I'm the one that went to school all those years. I'm the one that read all those books, that took all those tape, uh, wrote those papers and took those tests. It's my name on that 
that diploma, and, and, I, and that's the one that got me in this job. And by the way, see the paycheck? doesn't say Jesus there. Pay to the order of Jesus. It says me. I earned that. And you see, when we think this way, you got to understand, we're missing the whole point of what happened. at the, We're missing it. Look what James says. Chapter 1, verse 17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Our, I mean, when we need to blink on time, it's a gift from God. The fact that your lungs keep, your, uh, uh, your diaphragm keeps moving those lungs, it's all a gift. And it doesn't mean that we didn't work hard for it. We're supposed to work. We're supposed to do all that stuff. But it's his. And then I think another reason that, that gets, we're scared. It's frightening. And, 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 and at this point, I want to I wanna stop, put a little parentheses on everything I'm saying, because I want to be very sensitive. There are some, a, a handful of people in a crowd this size, that are, that are struggling financially with what I would call a, a systemic financial issue. A systemic financial issue means that you are struggling because of something that is no fault of your own. Uh, often, like it's a major medical issue that is so expensive and for your ability, or it might be a special needs a member of your family or an injury that happened to you that now makes it very difficult for, for you to make, uh, you know, to stay ahead of the game. I, I, we are very sensitive to that. And here's what's interesting. I know people in that situation that have incredibly generous hearts. They still know how to put all their confidence in God and trust in him, even in, even in the, the dilemmas they face financially. And he gives them peace in the middle of it in spite of what they're going over. That's not who I'm talking about when I'm talking about uh, th this whole thing of being scared. I'm talking about people who just, just say, they, 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 they're, they're just the standard person. They say, come on, Kim, Kimmel, be serious here. I have enormous financial demands on my life. My mortgage payments, my credit cards, my kids, uh, some, and, and we have debt. We have school debt, and, and we have some other debt that's accumulated. You, you gotta be kidding me that you think that I can actually go and be uh, generous with God and my money and, and all this stuff. And, and, and you see, when we talk this way, we think this way, you gotta understand we have submitted ourselves to a scarcity mindset. One that is calculating our lives based on our focus on here, now and ourselves. Instead of an abundant mindset that processes everything going around us here now through our focus on God, who is bigger than any problem you may have and bigger than any debt, any demands you may have. It's like forgetting the memos. Jesus put some very specific stories in the Bible to try and help us get past any fear we might have. He said, okay, John chapter 6, remember that we were out there in the middle of nowhere. I've been preaching all day. The people used up all their food. They were starving. They needed something. To, they had a long trip home, and, and, and there was 5,000 of them plus, and we needed to feed them. And, and all, all I had was this little kid's happy meal, and I fed them all with a happy meal. You don't think I can handle your situation? Or uh, let's ramp this thing up. Here's the nation of Israel. They're stuck down in Egypt. They have been slaves down there for hundreds of years. They, Israel has been becoming rich on their backs of slave labor. Finally, God delivers them. He punishes Egypt. And he says, oh, by the way, on your way out, ask your neighbor for some money. Just, just do it. Watch what happens. I've already tenderized her heart. 
He says, because we need to uh, redistribute the wealth here and get you paid up. And basically, they handed all their money over to them and they walked out with it. He opened up the Red Sea for them, even when the army was chasing them. And then he got them through on dry land, he drowned the army. They were celebrating, then they realized, there's no water out here. Hit the rock, boom, here it comes. He took them into one of the most desolate places on the globe. He's gonna keep them there for 40 years. There's no food or water out there, and yet he made sure they always had drinking water. He brought them room service every morning with those vanilla wafers, and those quail would fly in in the afternoons to get in the stew pot. They he, it says in Deuteronomy chapter eight, their sandals didn't wear out. Their clothes didn't wear out for 40 years. Why would you question and doubt that this God who would cross time space and lay everything on a line with his life would not want to come alongside you and take care of you and work with you. And, and, and I love Philippians 4.19. It says, and my God will supply all your need according to his riches in Christ Jesus. And that is, in, contextually, Paul is talking about uh, when, when he has a lot, when he has little, when he, when he doesn't know when, how he's going to make ends meet. You know, another problem I think that, 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 that we all sometimes deal with is we may give, but we do it grudgingly or out of obligation or a sense of guilt. And so our giving is more like a tip that we drop in the offering plate or something. We put in an envelope. Yeah, you've been pretty good to me, God. I'll, I'll, I'm going to give you a little nice, here, enjoy this. I mean, you realize how insulting that mindset would be, and yet it's easy to fall into. Oh, and then I might as well hit this one to save any of you the embarrassment of coming up and, and, and throwing this stupid question at me that you often hear when you talk on, when somebody talks on giving. Well, should we tithe on our gross or on our net? I mean, people actually ask this question. That is the most moronic question a Christian could ask. It only says, it only says to me, you, you better go back and look at that cross again. I don't think you understand what happened there. Now, there's a cliche answer to that. Is, do you want God to bless you on your gross or your net? <laughs> but what it's really saying is, this is a person that's keeping score. They're saying, what's the minimum I can give and be able to check this off? It's not a, a heart of abundance. It's not a heart that's coming with love. And by the way, I mentioned that word tithe. <laughs> Let's hit on that while we're at it. Because, you know, uh, the tithe in the Old Testament was a, like a 10% thing that they were supposed to kind of be, be surrendering uh, 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 if they made things, a crop or whatever, uh, their, their, their animals or, or money. They, they did that, uh, offered it to God. And, and, and people come out and say, hey, tithe isn't really talked about in the New Testament. Yeah, that's exactly right. Giving is but not the, so much tithe. But here's the thing. Here's a little theology, theology 101. The, the New Testament is an improvement on everything in the Old Testament. Amen. It's an improvement on everything. And so it may not be mentioned, but the point is, is, is that if you're going to start anywhere, you start at that 10% level. 10% is not the ceiling you're aiming for. It's the floor you start from. And, and, and see, but, but God's not, he's saying, it's all mine, plus I want to show you how to manage it all. And, and you won't have any problem here. 
One of the best principles I ever learned to help me on this was back, I think I was in college when, when this uh, professor put this up on the board. And I, when I looked at that, man, that, that is strong. If I let that use, help me make my decisions, I'd be light years ahead. And let me show you what it is. You have no idea how often I bring this up in my heart when I have to make it. Never sacrifice the permanent on the altar of the immediate. What's permanent in our life? God is. His eternal gift of, of, of life is. The relationships we have that are going to go beyond here and now. He said, that's the permanent thing. In 2 Peter, uh, I think, in 2 Peter, he talks about, I'm, I'm going to nuke everything, you see. The heavens will vanish with a roar. The elements will melt with intensity. The earth and all of its works are going to be burned up. All this stuff's going to be gone. But the people and myself, we're still going to be here. And so, so we need to get beyond this because, because uh, in 2 Corinthians 9, it talks about if, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. But whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, because God loves a cheerful giver. And look at this. And God is able to make all grace abound to you. So that, look, having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Chip Ingram really nailed it with this. He said, some folks intentionally live small just so they can give large, while others give small so that they can live large. Unfortunately, we're missing the big, you know, this isn't the best of the best. Heaven is. This is nothing compared to what he has waiting for us. Our propensity to give isn't about the size of our bank accounts. It's about the size of our hearts. Let me tell you about a darker time in my life. Because of the circumstances, uh, it, it was just unavoidable. I went through a time where I was really being bullied. There was this gang of punks, and uh, they harassed me, intimidated me, and every once in a while, one of them would just jump me and mug me and uh, just beat the junk out of me. And, and, and I, I tried to hold my own, but it, ultimately, it was obvious I was in over my head. Let me give you some of their names that I was having to fight. One was called selfishness. And one, one of those thugs was called pride. And one was called greed. One was called comparison. One was called arrogance. And, and another one called fear. And they wanted to control me. They wanted to define me. And they wanted to sully every decent relationship I had. Like with my wife or my kids or my friends or, or my calling. And ultimately my relationship with God. And finally I had enough of it. I was so sick of it. And I said, look, we're going to have a bar fight of all bar fights. But we're going to have this out. Because you know what you have to do with bullies? You got to just stand up to them every once in a while. Just say, okay, enough's enough. But I knew I didn't have enough going for me. So I went to a friend and asked him if he'd have my back. I said, Jesus, I want to put these guys behind me. Will you help me? Absolutely, Tim. He says, I not only have your back, I have your front. Just stand back. I'll deal with them. And when you surrender your heart and you trust God, these guys still are in my life. It's just they just don't, they don't bother me. They don't intimidate me. Because they're, and it's not because I'm, I'm anything. I'm nothing. 
I have feet of clay just like everybody else, but I, I, I want to live my life standing in the shadow of the cross of what Jesus did for me. And, 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 and he just deals with these things. One more thing, because I, I, I got to really rattle through some things here to finish down here, but sometimes, a fourth thing I want to put here, sometimes we give expecting more in return from God. And, and you got to understand that this is not a heart of generosity. Now, I think a, a reason some people do that is because we have, I think, some, some people that have really done some false work on the Bible, and, and they, they, uh, it's, it's typically called the prosperity gospel. And it, it's talking about the abundant life meant that you're supposed to be rich and not have any struggles. There's nothing in the concept of the abundant life. He says, I'm going to make you rich in relationships and rich in mercy. And, and I'm going to give you, your life great meaning. It doesn't have anything about money or lifestyle or, or, or not having struggles. Listen... Here's what I, I, I feel about generosity. Generosity is giving without expecting anything in return. That's what generosity is. And here's why you don't have to expect anything in return. Because if you're in Christ, you already have it all. You get it? You already have it. You're complete in him. And, and as far as wealth goes, you're co-heirs with Jesus. That's what the Bible says. We're going to be co-heirs with Jesus. Guess what he inherits? He inherits the, the whole universe. He gets it all. So when you go out and look at the stars at night, just look at it. Hey, cool. Me and Jesus, we, we own that stuff. Because he, he says, I, took, I wanted to take your sinful, wicked heart. I, I took it out. I put my heart in you. And, 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 the, and, and his heart beats generosity, doesn't it? Well, I'm going to rattle through these things because these things go without saying. These are some of the obvious things, and I'm, I'll, I'll, I'll list the scriptures. She'll flash them up there. I'm not going to read them. But look, uh, Jesus inclines us to follow the biblical guidelines for good stewardship because grace-based generosity is a lot easier when we carefully steward all the money God has entrusted to us. It just is. And he gave us two foundational principles about money to help keep us on track. The first one is this. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be. And so if, if, our, if our heart is wrapped up in here and now and ourselves, and then, then, then we're going to try and go for the treasures here. He says, no, put your heart in me. You, you put your focus and your love in me, and I, and, 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 and I will be your treasure, and I will take care of your day-to-day. -day. And, and, and the other thing is, second principle, from the one who has been entrusted with much, much will be asked. Now, the Bible actually uh, gives us guidelines for handling money. And Dave Ramsey, Crown Ministry, uh, Ron Blue, these are all people that when you talk with them, they'll give you these principles. They got them from the Bible. And here's the thing. If you obey these principles, God will be able to provide for you. He'll provide for you. If you disobey these principles or ignore these principles, you're never going to be contented with your financial situation regardless of how much money you make. Let's learn them together. First one, God's grace helps us avoid an indulgent lifestyle. The Bible teaches this. In 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 to 17, we're not supposed to love the world because the world is passing on. What, what, what do I mean by an indulgent lifestyle? What does the Bible mean? It's one that's driven by our lust or at the mercy of our insecurities or addicted to the poison pill of comparison. And along the same line, the Bible teaches us we're not supposed to pursue wealth. That might be a new one to you. You're not supposed to pursue wealth. 
You're supposed to pursue God. And if he chooses, because you handle your money wisely and you work hard and so forth, that, that you become wealthy, that's fine. He has no problem with wealth. It's when we need that and want that, and that's our focus. That's when we get in trouble. A good verse on that is Ecclesiastes 2.11. And we shouldn't hoard wealth. A good verse on that is Ecclesiastes 5.13. Because it, it, says, it demonstrates that we don't trust God. You say, well, you, is that like savings? No, no, no. Let me dif differentiate between savings and hoarding. Saving is when you set aside funds to serve a strategic and greater good in the future. The Bible actually teaches us we should do that. Hoarding is stockpiling something to an extreme, either out of an irrational fear or an irrational affection for it, but in the process, it never gets to serve the greater good in the future. And, 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 and the Bible actually says that's going to come back and poison the person that's hoarding it. And then, look, these next ones, they're just obvious. Even though most people ignore them, I'll just give them out there. Uh, we're supposed to live below our means. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5 is a good verse on this. 1 Corinthians 6, 12 is another good one. And then we're supposed to avoid the trap of consumer debt. It's, consumer debt happens when we're spending money we don't have to buy things we can't afford to impress people who, for the most part, probably care less about us. Proverbs 22, 7 says, The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. Consumer debt is when we're paying a debt with accumulating interest on things we've either already consumed or that are worth less than the original price. We're still paying for them. We're supposed to avoid that. Wise uh, healthy stewards avoid that. Now, uh, the, the two things, standard things are, are installment payments and credit card debt. Now, it's one thing to use a credit card and keep it paid off. That, that's fine. But, but it's when it accumulates, it, you can never get ahead. We're living in a culture that wants every one of us to make two car payments and two credit card payments every month till the day we die. You got to understand, you cannot possibly be able to breathe in that kind of a situation. And God says it's not necessary. If you, handle, if you go by my, my guidelines here, we'll get you through just fine, regardless of how little you make. And here's what I, I want to say about this. Consumer debt is slavery. That's what it is. It's slavery. Slavery is when our free will is under the control of another person. It's when our free will is under the control of another person or entity. And so when we get overstretched and we're in debt all the time, you got to understand when God calls on us to do something, we can't. When we need to be do, doing something for our kids, we can't. It's gone. Now, I don't, be, I don't want any of us to be slaves to our urges or our greed or our fears or our pride or our insecurity. And so the best way you do is take your free will and submit it to God. Because he says, you know what I want to do with you? I want to set you free. Obviously, living on a budget, and in fact, regardless of what you make, you should live on a budget. In fact, the more you make, the more you should live on a budget because remember to them whom much is given, much is required. Dave Ramsey says a budget is telling your money where to go rather than wondering where it went. <laughs> and, then, and then a fifth principle here you see from the Bible is maintain a savings program. And a great verse on that is Proverbs 21.20. And then, and then, see, good steward, stewardship makes it easier to be deliberate about generosity. See, a heart of grace gives to God first and from their best. And in fact, here's the three best 
principles I know on generosity. A heart of grace gives to God first and from their best. Put the verse up there for that one. Proverbs 3, 9 to 10. I wanted to say, give me a click on that, but I hear y'all don't like it when Jamie says that. It says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then, look, your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Secondly, second principle here is a heart of grace gives God, give to God, gives to God regularly and systematically. See, I think the best thing is give Give to the rhythm that you receive. You get a paycheck, you give. You get a bonus, you give. You get a, a, a commission, you give. You get a financial windfall, you give it right then. And Paul actually uh, uh, advised the Corinthians to do this every, on uh, the first day of every week, he said, because I'm, I'm, when I come to town, I, I need to have a, an offering from you that I can go out and disperse to the other poorer churches. And he says, I don't want us to have to uh, you know, find, figure out where we're going to get it. Just keep doing it so it's all there. And then a heart of grace gives to God sacrificially. You know, uh, those three things, if those just guide your life there, that, that'll help you out. And, and, and another piece of great advice, wisdom, comes from a, uh, Dave Hall, a friend of mine, friend of yours. He's been an elder here at our church. He uh, was the chairman last year. And Dave, I think somebody even gave Dave this wisdom. But he said, you know, when, when you decide to want to have a generous heart, there's so many needs out there. It's so easy to just be trying to, you know, you support your local church. And then you start giving to missionaries and ministries. And you end up writing a lot of small checks to a whole lot of things. He says, he says, maybe it makes more sense. You, you, take, you say, okay, how much are we going to give this year? How much do we project we're probably going to be able to give? Or I'm going to be able to give. And you say, take about 75, 80% of that, and then divide that between three or four ministries. Obviously, your local church, because they feed you. And they provide for you. And then, and then you might be passionate about evangelism or the poor or, 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 or uh, uh, a foreign, uh, foreign ministry or something. Like that. And you take uh, larger chunks and give them to three or four or five these things like that. And then you save that 20% for the kids going off on, or people going off on missions trips or maybe uh, ministries having a golf tournament, things like that you want to participate in. And it just, when Darcy, we started doing that about, oh, uh, 12 years ago. 13 years ago. And it's just been so much fun to be able to put a lot more money into a handful because remember, where your treasures, there your heart is. And so we really are heart connected to this church and those ministries. And guess what? That's a two-way street. They're connected to us because these are people that really uh, come alongside us. So I, it just, I throw that out for free. Dave's a good man. I got to land a plane here. Look at this. Grace-based generosity is a gateway to the abundant life. Look at this. It builds our faith. Because in Hebrews 11, it says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and look at that, and that he rewards those who seek him. And, and, and secondly, it, 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 puts our, uh, uh, it puts us in touch with God's heart. Oh, man, put the verse up here on this one. This will mess with people. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes, look at this, on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to, be, to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Thus storing up, storing up where? In heaven. Storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold 
of that which is truly life. It helps us invest in what matters, doesn't it? Jesus was talking in this passage, and I know i got to hustle here to land this plane, but it says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Moth and rust can't do that. Thieves can't get a hold of it. Look, he says, For where your treasures, there your heart will be. And you say, But I, I thought you said we're supposed to save money. And he's saying, Don't save money. No, no, no. Look at the, here's the key word here. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Our savings, our retirement, all those things, we're, we're, those are saving in, on, on my behalf of God's glory to use them that way, but not for ourselves. That's the key phrase there. He's talking, he's talking don't lay up for yourselves uh, things that accommodate our greedy self-interest or we're hoarding out of insecurity. And why? He said because the tangible things can be lost or stolen or depreciate and wear out. We need to do acts of kindness. Winston Churchill nailed it on this. He says, he says, we make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give. And you know what? Another thing this does, it gives us enormous joy and freedom as we watch God work through us. You know, if you participated in, uh, in Compelled by Grace, I hope you, you smile when you come to church. Think, I got to be a part of this. We're, we're, we're able to touch so many more lives and represent the gospel in this community so much more effectively. Plus, we gave a gift to the next generation that may not have the benefits of income that our generation had. We did that for them. And also, I, I think it, it just, it, when we handle our money the way God wants to, it just takes all the anxiety out of money. <laughs> It also, I think it's a gateway to abundant life because it makes it easier to be generous with all areas of our life. When, when God can get a hold of this big compartment of our life, our money, it's so much easier to be generous with our time and with our encouragement and our forgiveness and our mercy and our hope, with our sweat labor. It's so much easier there. And then, lastly, it gives us enormous peace. It's just so nice to go through life because we have enough things to give us anxiety about going on around us. It's just nice that in this area of our life, we have peace. That when, it, when 2008 comes and the economy throws up, we're fine. Oh, but, you know, you just lost all your... We're fine. I have to close. Um, Darcy and I will be married 44 years this next month. <laughs> A wonderful lady. I'm so grateful uh, that she took the chance with me. We were both brought up in humble families. We were, we were born with plastic spoons in our mouth, you know. Uh, nice families, nice good parents, but we didn't have anything extra. And uh, uh, so uh, we got married on a Saturday night in Annapolis, Maryland. I was starting grad school nine days later in Dallas, Texas at Dallas Seminary. And our honeymoon was just drive across the country, take our time, get across the country, get in position by, by Saturday in, in Dallas, and then, and then uh, start school two days later. And, and I had paid for a, a semester of grad school in advance. I had bought a new used car. It was, by the way, it's not new. It was several years old, but it was a 66 Pontiac GTO, guys. And my, my brother and I had rebuilt it. Oh, man, I wish I still had that car. But anyway, so we had a car. Um, I paid for two months uh, sight unseen on a little apartment there in Dallas. 
and uh, we had about 325 bucks between us. Our parents weren't the kind that uh, pulled you aside just before you left on your honeymoon and stuck an envelope in your pocket. <laughs> they just gave us a little hug and have a nice ride and drive carefully. But you know what? They, they had already given us an inheritance. They gave us a work ethic. And they taught us to endure, even when life is tough. And they taught us to own our junk and take responsibility for our actions. And we thought, okay, this we're pretty good. You know what? We were just as happy as can be. And, and we were going down the road, and, and we, we had, we, we, you know, we couldn't uh, stop for meals a lot, so we'd got, uh, she got a uh, loaf of bread and, and, and uh, peanut butter and jelly, and during the afternoons, uh, she would make a little picnic for us in the car, some lunch and meat, and we were just trying, I remember we were driving between uh, Dayton, Ohio, and Memphis on the highway there uh, in, in Tennessee, and we decided, you know, no one had ever, we had no marriage prep. No one had ever talked to us about this subject. But we, we thought, okay, we, we need to figure out what we... We, we never really discussed what are we going to do about money. We didn't have jobs waiting for us or anything, but, you know, we... Here's what we decided. Primitive, foolish, as dumb as we were, we said, okay, let's never get in debt. Let's make a decision now. We're never going to get in debt. If we can't afford something, we just don't buy it. We just don't go there. Let's always live below our means. And let's always give to God. We're going to start at 10%, but as God continues to bless us, let's scotch that percentage up. And let's always pay ourselves a percentage of every dollar we make. Let's just do that from the beginning. And that was our plan. We'd only been walking with Jesus a couple of years. Came to Christ around 16 years old. 17 years old in her life. <laughs> and what's interesting, uh, she went there, went to Dallas Seminary, and, and she had a job at the bank there make, paying about $5,000 a year. I was going to school full-time, but I was working every summer somewhere in odd jobs. And we were able to not only pay for everything, pay for seminary, not have any debt, but we saved about $5,000. And we came here to be your youth pastor, starting at an incredible salary of $13,500. <laughs> That's okay. I was, I was excited. Man, alive, this is great. I get to be a youth pastor. And, and, and all. Now, now, she got a job, too, but we didn't have any children. But she said, you know, Tim, when, when, we, when, I, when I become a mom, I want to focus my attention there. And it's fine if, if God leads you to work out in the marketplace, but she says, I want to focus my attention there. So we said, wow, if we do that, then we need to set our budget to my income. Because if we set it to our, both of our incomes, then we're stuck. We don't have a choice. So we set it to mine. And we just saved hers. And a couple years later, sure enough, here comes the first baby. And no problem. She could focus in. Get, listen, I'm going to tell you. We've, we've just not worried about money. We've never worried about it. We've, we've always had enough. Everything was fine. Because we knew this isn't about money. This is about God. He said, I'll take care of you. Will you trust me? Just, just stick inside my guidelines here. and You'll be fine. So you young people on the front side, he could get you there. And, 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 and listen, I want to tell you, this is a very generous church. 
I want to applaud you and, and, and encourage you. You are a very generous church, and a lot of you people get all this, but, but there's some of you that this is new to you. I just hope, I just hope, if you've been resistant to this, you'll repent. You'll ask God to forgive you and say, Lord, I need help. And if you're upside down and hurting, go to our website there at, at, at Scottsdale Bible and sign up for one of those financial peace classes. They'll help you get beyond that thing and help you dig out of those holes in God's power and set you free on this one. Okay, I need to sit down and shut up, but I want to close with words of John Wesley, uh, yeah, John Wesley. Look at this. Do all the good you can, by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as you ever can. God bless you all. Have a great morning. Bye-bye.